0: Listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. In this episode of the Hard Men Podcast, we're going to be looking at the ways in which our generation venerates the nice guy. That's right, our culture seems to love niceness as the crowning virtue for all men. Men who speak and act in non-threatening ways. Men who don't rock the boat, but are always agreeable. Men who shy away from sharp conflict. They know how to back down when they're told. They don't take bold initiative, but they passively submit to their bosses, to politicians, to their girlfriends, and their wives. And when those in the culture say that they want nice men... What they really mean and what they really want is they want neutered men. Men without potency, without prowess or aggression. You think about what happens to a male dog when he's neutered, he's less aggressive. And that can be good if you want your dog to lay on the ground and do nothing in your house. But it can be a bad thing if you need your dog to protect the homestead from wolves. Now, our culture celebrates men like Prince Harry, men who renounced his royal status and his hunting privileges because his wife found them repulsive. You see, as our culture has become more and more feminized in ways from the public school system to our corporations to our churches, right, each one of these institutions has embraced a politically correct agenda that seeks to emasculate men boys should sit still and be quiet and if they can't do that well then we'll give them drugs and we'll diagnose them with a psychological condition at work and at church any language of fighting or warfare or combat has been largely eradicated if you're at school and your son makes a chicken nugget into a pistol Trust me, you're going to have words with the principle. Right? In all of this, the fundamental assumption is that you make men good by making them safe. In reality, nothing could be further from the truth. We'll be following this argument in this episode, but I want to quote Jordan Peterson, who said this, A harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control." In this episode, I'll be expounding a fundamental argument. The best men are dangerous men. There's no question that men are hardwired for danger. This is something psychologists and sociologists have been tracking for a long time, and they recognize this feature of masculinity. You see, there's a genetic predisposition for men to show physical aggression and even violence. It's part of who they are. They possess larger and stronger bodies than women do, and the typical male has 75% more muscle than a woman with 90% greater upper body strength. So, historically, men have, not surprisingly, predominantly filled roles in the front lines of combat and dangerous professions. Statistics also reveal where this masculine biology can, of course, go wrong. It often does. According to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, 93% of those incarcerated, well, they're men. Research, both present and historical, shows that a vast majority of those involved in homicides are men. Of the most dangerous jobs on the planet, well, men occupy the majority. This is why men are ten times more likely to be killed at work than women. The problem is that in our culture, we're also fueled by a pervasive feminist ideology. An ideology that points the obvious reality of man's natural propensity for violence and labels that as toxic. Right, If men are stronger, well that makes them toxic. Right, The most popular theory is that you make men safe by weakening them. And so from prohibition to public education, there's been a concerted societal effort to domesticate and emasculate and soften men. The obvious problem which all the research points out, it, it just simply does not work. You don't make men good by softening them, just like you don't make a knife better by dulling it. As any butcher knows, the best knife is the sharpest knife. It's a sharp knife used for the right purpose. What our society has done is neuter the characteristics of authentic masculinity And then wonder why the new beta male isn't worth a damn. We made war on fatherhood, and then wondered why fatherless homes are decimating the culture. We told men that their strength was toxic, and now we wonder why we've been plagued by invertebrates in our communities, corporations, and in our churches. I think C. S. Lewis had it best. He said this quote: "In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ." but demand the function. We make men without chest and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and then are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings to be fruitful. Quote. Where we are most helped today is by the great men of the past who understood that only dangerous men hear that again, only dangerous men have the capacity for masculine virtue. J.R.R. R. Tolkien captured this truth magnificently in The Two Towers. And I'm going to quote from that now. Gimli said, But you speak of him as if he were a friend. I thought Fangorn was dangerous. Dangerous, cried Gandalf. And so am I. Very dangerous. More dangerous than anything you will ever meet, unless you are brought alive before the seat of the Dark Lord. And Aragorn is dangerous, and Legolas is dangerous. You are beset with dangers, Gimli, son of Glowin, for you are dangerous yourself in your own fashion. Certainly the forest of Fangorn is perilous, not least to those that are too ready with their axes. And Fangorn himself, he is perilous too. Yet he is wise and kindly nonetheless. End quote. You see, in modern times, men like Jordan Peterson have repeatedly pointed out what Tolkien is also drawing out in this quote. It is only the most dangerous men that are capable of genuine, authentic virtue. Weak and harmless men are incapable of true virtue. What the world needs is dangerous men, not safe men. It was dangerous men with the capacity for violence who stormed the beaches of Normandy and kept the evil of Nazism from swallowing Europe whole. It was dangerous men who chased and bombed the Taliban to the point of extinction in Afghanistan after September 11, 2001. It was dangerous men who tracked and killed UBL on May 2, 2011. Instead of vilifying masculine virtues like physical prowess, potent sexuality, and vocational passion, along with violent aggression, it's essential that we understand what men are for and then we recast that vision for future generations. Now, as we talked about in the last episode, one of the most important things we can understand about our masculinity is that we were made for dominion. Right, Man's purpose and his aim has to be clearly defined, and God does this for us in Genesis 1.28. We're told that we are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We're to rule over the fish of the sea. We're to take dominion. And again, as we spoke of last episode, this means men were for making babies and raising them to be covenant-keeping sons. And then, second of all, men were to raise armies that took the world into dominion for the glory of God. Of course, there's the necessary help of woman to accomplish man's primary and God-given task, which was subduing and taking dominion of the earth. It's this conquering of the world. This is why men are sexually driven. Their sex and the potency that they have in it is a gift from God for procreation, for pleasure, and for raising up this army of godly warriors and workers. You see, men are naturally combative. I I have boys, and you put them in the backyard, you put them with the neighbor boys, and within five minutes, they've divided themselves up into cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians. You don't even have to teach them that. They understand it. But even this is a gift. It's a gift for slaying the dragons that roam the earth and destroy civilization. Right? As the past century has borne out, there is real evil in the world. And the only solution is for violently good men to meet that evil at the gates. You see, men were made to be warriors among a gang of men, which is a gift. It's a gift. For the continuance of a God-fearing community. When a threat arises to the welfare of a people, men, dangerous men, will ride into battle because they give each other strength and courage that could come no other way. They spar against each other. They ride out to meet the enemy. They shed blood. And this is how men are bonded. Right? Men are fathers. They're intense workers. They're Culture builders, their protectors and leaders. All of this is a gift for building society. Man was made to shed his blood so that he would ensure the generational vitality of his offspring. Men were made to gather, store up, manage, build wealth, all for the furtherance of future generations. But here's the rub. The church today has almost completely lost any optimistic vision for the world. Any vision that includes men as they were made in scripture. Right? We have feminist visions that want to castrate masculinity, but we don't have a dominion vision that harnesses masculine DNA. Again, without a mission, brothers to shed blood alongside, or families to nurture and build, Without a land worth dying for, men become aimless and destructive. That's why men are in prison as much as they are. Most of those men don't have a purpose and a vision. And so they have all this strength and they don't know what to do with it. All that energy that was made for world dominion, well, it becomes unhinged. It becomes destructive to self, society, and the entire world. It's the same reason that many men who thrive in combat, well, what do they do? They return home and then they discover that it's purposeless. There's a listless existence. They're removed from the greatest love that a man can have, which is for the man who bled next to him in the battle. They no longer have their gang. And so they no longer have a clear purpose for their own lives. Many of these men suffer from depression and, of course, and unfortunately suicide is common among them. Now, without a clear vision for dominion, masculinity cannot be fully recovered. But, as we said last episode, and I want to reiterate here, with that vision, men will thrive. You remember Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. You see, the desperate need of the hour is to encourage men to embrace this godly vision for dominion that he was made for. Right? The plagues of masculinity we face today are a result of a people perishing without a vision. Without clear purpose, Well, sexuality engulfs a man in pornographic napalm and in selfish pleasure seeking. Strength is used to manipulate, control, and abuse rather than to protect and defend. Fatherhood is abandoned for cheap sex and the objectification of women. Money itself becomes a tool simply for luxurious self-aggrandizement. Misguided combativeness erupts violently to destroy families, communities, and churches. Now I want to address one other thing, which is this. Many Christians will point to passages like this, the meek shall inherit the earth, right? We're told that, Matthew 5, 5, the meek shall inherit the earth, and what we think is nice guys, limp-wristed guys, guys who aren't aggressive, those are going to be the ones who inherit the earth, and many of the beta men in the church, they like to use these passages to support what they think is the right view of how men should be. Right. So many Christians have been indoctrinated in effeminate churches by effeminate pastors. So much of the church is more of a woman's tea party and book club than a boot camp for dominion takers. Right, Churches, as we said in the episodes preceding, churches have become soft ghettos for the kind of pacifistic, emotionalistic pietism that hard men simply turn away from. We talked about this in the last couple episodes, but Paul called the church to fight the good fight, to act like men, and to be good soldiers. It's hardly the language that you're going to find in the church today, right? But Jesus said the violent will take the kingdom by force. So We ask a vital question at this point, what are made, men made to be? Well, we're told meek, and I want to delve into that. What does that meekness actually look like? By the way, note the promise that the meek will inherit the earth. That's what Jesus said. They'll be dominion takers. Jesus promises that the meek will inherit the earth. They will take dominion. It will be accomplished. It's ironic because the meekness that Jesus calls for is exactly the opposite of the soft shell crab weakness in men that gets peddled so often from the pulpit today. The actual meaning of meekness helps us to understand the kind of masculinity we ought to pursue. So hear me out on this. The Greek word praeus refers to the meeking of a warhorse. right? When you were going to meek a warhorse, that means you train it. You take an animal that is tremendously powerful and you bring that animal under the direction and control of the rider, of the warrior. Right? So picture this with meekness. It's not making something neutered. It's not neutering the warhorse. It's training it, it's harnessing all that raw power for the purpose of executing in the heat of battle. Biblical meekness is not weakness, but rather, and this is the dictionary definition, rather, it refers to exercising God's strength under God's control demonstrating power without undue harshness, right? So what is a meek man? A meek man is an extremely powerful man who has learned to control himself and to channel that power for the right purposes, for work and for being a warrior. He's not a harmless man. He's not a neutered man. He's not a nice man. Meekness means being very, very dangerous but knowing how to control it, right? God calls men to be tremendously powerful and dangerous and to harness that drive with unparalleled discipline under the authority of God's word. The virtues which Christ himself extols in men are holy violence and power under restraint, right? The authentic man has not become weak. It's the opposite of that. He's learned to harness his power through training and through discipline, which is why the best men are dangerous men. At this point in the show, I want to get very, very practical. We promised we would do that, so we're going to try and give you a few practical things to work on and ways that you can be dangerous but under control. Number one, you can be dangerous but under control by learning firearms training or a martial arts discipline. Now, why do I think this is important, right? The coronavirus is going on. The police have said, hey, we're not going to respond to as many things. There's a very real possibility in our world that you will have to defend yourself. And so what you need to do is you need to get training and you need to learn how to be even more dangerous than the person that doesn't know what they're doing, but in a controlled manner. Hey, that's how you're going to win a fight. That's how you can be dangerous but under control. Right? It's amazing. I go to these training courses and, I mean, man, there'll be women there who are in their 60s, 70s, and they look unassuming. And then we get on the firing line and the the course instructor, the range master will call out one of these women who's been to these courses before and they say, show us this maneuver. Show us this technique. And the woman does it. And I'm like, man, I would not want to cross her in a gunfight. Right. She's dangerous. And men need to be the same way. You need to be dangerous. And you can only be that because you have training. You want to be the right kind of dangerous, not stupid, dangerous, not blundering, dangerous, but skill you've harnessed the ability to kill. I remember the words of General James Mattis, right? Be polite, be professional but have a plan to kill everybody you meet, right? That's what men do. You know how to be dangerous. So you can be dangerous with your body by learning how to use firearms, sign up for a course near you, right? There's lots of places locally where you can sign up for courses, especially right now. I guess the other point I'll make is martial arts. You can get martial arts training as well. Same deal, man. Michael Foster's right on this one. You ought to know how to kill a man with your bare hands. If you had to do it, you know, take jujitsu, take a course. There's tons of things you can do. There's a guy in our church who does this Filipino stick fighting, and he sits at the back of the sanctuary as you first come in. And if anybody's unsavory, and we do have those people, he's going to offer them a friendly little (laughs) beatdown. He could definitely take me. That's what men should be. You need to know how to protect yourself, your family and people in your church. You can be dangerous by getting the training, so do that. All right, finally, I want to go over the mind. How can you have a dangerous mind? One of the most dangerous things against false teaching and crooked people in the church is to be doctrinally sharp, right? It's a weapon to know doctrine. It's a very dangerous thing, and if anybody in the church, right, you've dealt with people who are sinning in the church, you have to discipline people, You know that the hardest person to deal with is somebody who knows Scripture well, right? So having theological training is a way for your mind to be dangerous. It's a way for you to disarm the enemy. This is how Jesus defeated Satan, right? He was able to defeat Satan because he knew the Word of God. So I would encourage you get theological doctrinal training. Right, This does not have to be seminary. And in fact, most cases, I do not recommend that. That's not for most guys. There's tons of resources online, podcasts, sermons that you can listen to. Right, In upcoming episodes, we'll have some resources uh, that you can use to better yourself, to strengthen your mind. Man, go to a church. Talk to your pastor. Most Reformed pastors are going to be pretty knowledgeable about doctrine. Okay, so you can go to them. You say, what systematic theology should I read? What books about post-mill theology should I be reading? Right? What should I read about masculinity? Of course, you can follow more on my website and podcast. We'll be giving you more and more resources. But, man, you have to have a sharp mind. Something that you have to do. Your mind is a weapon, and you need to... You need to use it well, so I encourage you to do that. Thanks for listening to the Hard Men Podcast. For more on the topic of masculinity and biblical sexuality, be sure to check out my website. Sign up for my newsletter. You can do that at ericconn.com. That's E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N dot com. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Handle there is Eric, E-R-I-C, underscore C-O-N-N. Questions or feedback, please send them to me at any one of those outlets. Until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.